I'm going to learn about podcast hosting. After visiting whatisthepodcastmatrix.com, you won't have to. Ready to conceive solutions to problems in an atmosphere free of political correctness? Find a new sense of purpose at wadesense.com. That's wadesense.com. Welcome, everyone, to Wade Sense, the podcast. I am your host, Wade B. Olson, the Sage of St. Louis. Across from me sits the technical savior of this program, Mr. Mike Wilkerson. Mike, I'm sorry I did not have time to think up a more uh, extravagant opening. I, I, I owe you one. How's that? I will let it go this time. You'll let it go okay. this time? Will I'll you just go. be a regular, normal mortal? Maybe. <laughs> I'll hide my cape so you can't see it. Oh, okay. All right. I had every intention of talking about, I've found something new on my phone. Um, have you ever heard of TikTok? TikTok or TED no, Talk? No, TikTok. TikTok. Oh, TikTok. No, TikTok. what is this? It, it's, it's an, is uh, this it, some cool internet thing that I don't yet know about? It's a cyber neighborhood of people. It would have been the strange table in the school where all of the nerds and geeks and the pagans. You mean where Mike Wilkerson was and, hanging out? Huh? That's where Mike Wilkerson was hanging out. Oh, all right. Yeah, I was at the drug table, so I wasn't quite like that. But anyway, I had every intention of talking about this weird little neighborhood that I've discovered on my own. And maybe I will for another show. But actually what I wanted to talk to you about was a gentleman that I met last night. I was called to do a pickup. I called him. His name's uh, Terrell. I don't know what his last name was. Uh, about in his mid-30s. Mm-hmm. Black guy that I picked up downtown. And we were talking after I picked him up. And uh, he said he had a long day. And he was. But I said, why? And he said, driving from uh, uh, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, what do you do? He says, well, actually, I just got out of prison. Hmm. Without missing a beat. Right. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And we start talking Long and short of it is is that uh, he just got out. Mm-hmm. He wants to. I asked him what it was, what his future plans were, and he said that he wanted to look into being a, going, getting some tech, taking some classes to be a paralegal to help other people get getting out of prison. And I started talking about it. And I said, well, I said there definitely needs to be an entrepreneurial bend because you know the system's not going to give convicts coming out. And he said that's exactly what it was that I was thinking. But he also started talking to me about he wanted to do a podcast on that very subject. Hmm. So hopefully he will be a part of the two guys talking pantheon of shows in the near future. But hmm. I just I would love to have the perspective of someone that has been in prison that can come into a podcast and share some of that. I think that the prison astronaut concept I think is one that has not been struck. There are many programs where there's a dude that got out and he got in front of a microphone. Yeah. But the explanation of the atmosphere that he was in compared to the one that he or she is now in, mm-hmm. that is missing. I yeah. mean, you can you can talk all day about how you know it's difficult because hey, I can't vote, or hey, it's difficult because when I go fill out a job application, I have to hope that they can gloss over that I was in for three to five or whatever that is. Right, exactly. That, you know, everybody thinks of those things. There's, there's a voyeuristic a, aspect to it. I not only that, but there's also like a, there, there's an entire side of the prison experience mm-hmm. that nobody has even thought of, much less has learned anything about. And I would love to be able to help people understand that because not only would it help people stay out of prison, it would also help people that are not in prison understand the plight of people that are. Yeah. And when I say the plight of people that are, I know that many of them are there on their own accord. They, right. They screwed the pooch, and right. because you screwed the pooch, hey, welcome to prison. Yeah, and this guy admitted that you know mm-hmm. he was he was there because of what he had done himself, and he didn't get to go really go into what, what why it was that he was there. Mm-hmm. But I was on my way to take him to a halfway house, and he said that they were talking about the difference between blame and acknowledgement. 
he said that the ex-convicts were encouraged to not blame what it was that had happened. I said, well, there's a difference between blaming and acknowledging. He said, mm-hmm. exactly right. Mm-hmm. He said, I acknowledge the circumstances that led me to where it is that I'm at. Uh, I'm not blaming anybody. And I said, yeah, that that is exactly right. They said, the, the problem is, is that they need to figure out what it is that is creating convicts. You know, what it is that is creating the, the, a class of criminal. And we both agreed that the, one of the biggest problems, and they weren't talking about it so much, was that there were all of these children that were being raised without a father in the home. Mm-hmm. So, and I told him then about I'm our, glad you went the father route rather than the God route, because I was going to vault the desk. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> See, you can't go there either. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I, that is absolutely a perspective I would share when he eventually chooses to go in a direction. Be sure to have him contact me because I'd like to have that perspective and, and help people understand that perspective, mostly because I know no one that goes, boy, sure wish I could do a three to five stretch and know what that's like. Yeah, exactly. There is I would no just as soon have the voyeuristic right. look at it. It's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we'll listen to the podcast. No, I yeah. did tell him to get a hold of us, and I think that he will uh, hopefully soon in the future. Sweet. But in that vein, the topic for this show is here's the solution to panhandlers. And I did come up with a few novel ones. But along the way, here, here was the weird thing. I really wanted to, and I called you and I said that I wanted to back off a week on, on uh, recording because mm-hmm. I had not been able to find, for once, any panhandlers to talk to to ask some questions. I wanted to get some background before I just launched into this thing without having any experience. I couldn't find anybody. And I, had, I finally, at this point, I just wrote the show went on some presuppositions and said, okay, fine, we'll just go ahead and do this. And then about a little over a week ago, I ran into a couple that I picked up, and the lady, it turned out, in conversation, had been a hobo and also had panhandled in the past. Her name is Smiley Boxcars. Here's the really strange thing, and I found this out because I have ran into one other person who is a hobo, and that is exactly what they want to be called. They're not bums. They're not vagrants. They're hobos. There's some pride in basically being as off the grid as possible and just uh, living riding the rails, and it's the lifestyle. And the two that I've run into so far love, and this lady had talked about sometime in the future going back to it. Yeah, you, you say things like that, and all I can think of is like, oh, so they love the Amish Mafia television program. I know, I couldn't lie. What? I, I, it sounds exciting. No, it doesn't. And, and I knew, it, and I said, I said, I know it my does producer. Not sound exciting. My producer will say, absolutely not, no way in hell. He's a bit of a control freak. I am just control freak. Uh, you are a control freak. I know that I can pull up into my house that's being paid for. Right. Open up my refrigerator that's got paid for food in it. Sit down and have a Mike, meal do you like with, camping? My, with my family. Do you like camping? And we're good. No, not, not particularly. Okay, well, you know there. why? Why? And it's not because I'm not a control freak. Because when we do go camping, guess yeah. what? Bugs. It's and... awesome. No. Oh, okay. it, it, it's a reasonable set of awesome. But we know when to go camping. Yeah. You know when you don't go camping? When it's a thousand degrees with eight million bugs. That's when. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you could also kind of look at it as people who go it's on not a, it's long not a, hikes. It's or... not a control freak thing. Okay. But if put onto a scale, right. if you could go, tell you what, you can have your reasonably comfortable life in which you are sitting in a chair talking to us on your cell phone in a house. Yeah. Or you can be in a ditch someplace for at least one night. Ready? Pick. 
You got to be kidding me. Well, no, of course not. Okay, but I mean, well, that's what not... I'm saying. What are we talking about then? Well, you're talking. What are... Both of them can't wait to get back to it. What? Are... What the hell are you talking about? Riding the rails, just living hand to mouth. I don't get it personally because I. I'm definitely too much of a civilian and now an old man that I, I I would want to try that lifestyle. But there's, I mean, she said that she would make her living, you know, singing on the side of the road or panhandling or doing dishes or whatever it was. But they just lived off the grid. I don't know how many years she did it. You know, it's it's not our lifestyle. It's not our choice. But I, I find it kind of interesting that there's absolutely no shame in their accounting as to where they are in life. So our show today is all about Stopping panhandlers, break, having them break the habit, we have a solution. First thing I think you should probably do to find what panhandlers is. The term panhandler, its origin is a bit murky. It started out in the 1930s. It was slang referring to folks. There's a couple different theories here. One of them was that it was referring to folks from the Texas-Oklahoma panhandle. They often begged for money or food since they had neither. The term actually originated in the 1800s from miners panning for gold, but I think it's obvious that probably the more modern version in the 1930s is the one that's stuck and has the most meaning to the modern meaning, okay? The reason that I came up with this whole idea was because driving around, I'm constantly seeing panhandlers. And I thought to myself, if it ever came down to it, God forbid that I ended up panhandling, how I would want to get off the street as fast as possible and get back to a normal life. And then I thought, well, these people don't have addresses. They don't probably have licenses, IDs. You have to have all of this crap to, reasonably so, to get a bank account. And then I just, I started thinking, and that's where the the idea for this particular show came about, was I came up with an idea that I believe will work for solving the whole panhandling issue. Very simply put, it's this. You have what amounts to a census worker or a survey or whatever, go out, talk to as many people as they can that are panhandling, and just get some background information to help the problem. Find out, first and foremost, uh, do they have a drug problem? Are they veterans? Do they have PTSD? What's their particular reason that, that they're on the street? And figure out, in that way, the best way how to help them. And in the process of this interview, you let them know that there's going to, A, be a license issued for them to panhandle. Now, this is free. The license is for nothing more than kind of tracking purposes. Now, my first thought was that you would have this person go around and talk to the panhandlers on a daily basis, getting a set small amount to put towards an account. Now, before all this would start, in the process of talking to the panhandlers originally, you would figure out what they thought was the amount that they would need to get off the street permanently, whatever it was, 1000 2000 3000 5000 whatever it was. They would agree to meet the, the census worker or whatever on a regular basis, uh, daily, and give them a set amount to be put into their account. And then I started thinking about it, and it's like, wouldn't it work better to give them like uh, an ATM card that they could use to make their deposits. They could always deposit more if they wanted, but there was always the set amount. And it would be a deposit-only card until they reached that level. And then when they got to that amount, there would be uh, a check, money order, straight cash, whatever issued to them with the understanding that uh, it was minus 
maybe if if it was agreed that they needed a one-way bus ticket somewhere, deposit to get into an apartment, whatever it was that they needed, they thought that they needed that money to get started and off the street. With the understanding, this is a one-time only program. Your license is only good for this, this one run, and that's it so that it doesn't turn into a repeat problem because the whole idea is to get them off of the street permanently. So after the the program has had its run, they need to understand, like I said, that it is a one-time deal and that they're done. If they try and panhandle again, there'll be some kind of a penalty, uh, jail time, run out of town, whatever it is. It's it's just, just this one chance that they've got, and maybe even the city might go so far as to uh, partially match funds to speed up the process to make it more appealing to the person. This is where I run into holes. This is where, I, admittedly, I have the holes, and I'll, I'll, I'll help you in the hole poking, and hopefully together we can patch it, is that I don't know how to stop other people from joining in. I don't know how to stop other people from becoming panhandlers. And I don't know really what penalty would really apply to get them to stop handling, to not come back and try it again. Mike, do you have any ideas? Well, the first idea I have is who's going to train the census takers that are clearly not just people with clipboards in their hand? There's way more going on with those people than what you talked about. Okay. Like what? Well, sure. They're not just, let's go grab a guy off the street corner, one of the panhandlers, and say, here's a clipboard. Now you're the census taker. That's not what's going on here. Those people would have to be wrangled and schooled and mm-hmm. trained. That makes sense. On how that makes to, sense. On how to interact and and foster along the process, which is where it almost always falls apart anyway. Not, not, and I don't want to jump on the negative train, but th- if we look at everything that's a problem currently in society, right. the problem is not the problem. The problem was the training of the people that were supposed to teach people how to not be idiots that are now the problem. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see Fair? what you're saying. I see what you're okay. saying. So yeah, so the, the first the... thing is we're looking for money to first find and then train those people. There's your first hole. That no. That, okay, that was something that I did forget. Kind of like other programs that I've suggested in the past. This one, uh, the global money, awesome. Here you go. It's the Wade Fund. Part no. Okay. Okay. No. Partial city funding. The other would city be city has no money. Know how I know this? Oh. Because they're trying to join up with the St. Charles County government. Oh, yeah. And they have no money to do anything currently, so... Right. Trust me, folks, exactly it'll be a topic for another from? show. Actually, it won't be, because oh, it no? just... No, it just failed. Oh, it did fail? Yeah. Oh, well, shows well, how much I was paying caved attention. Caved in on itself. Oh, okay. I knew it was going to So happen. now they have no money anyway. Uh, All right, so there's... I didn't even poke that hole. That's okay, them. okay, okay. There's well, no okay. money. All right, so then the city's not helping, but interest from the accounts of the panhandlers could be used to run the program. Right, and the, possibly uh, charitable who, donations from the Who's putting from money into sector. the accounts then? What? Who's putting the money into the accounts? The panhandlers. So the panhandlers are asking people for money. Got any spare change? And they're they doing, get a quarter and no, they it's like this, down they're, to the they're, bank. They're, okay, they're doing what it is they would have been doing anyway. But now they are part of a program to help them save up, which they wouldn't have had before, to help them save up right. to get off right. the streets permanently. Right. The interest well, from that well, account. Well, wait, I understand the, the concept, but I'm okay. going to the particulars to poke holes. What so here is my shiny quarter that I give to a panhandler. <laughs> Your quarter? How, hold on. Cheap bastard. <laughs> is it money or is it not money? It is money. Because if you're going to my... piss on a quarter, you're going to piss on a dollar. Right, I'm giving you crap. Go okay. ahead. The, the, the bottom line is, here's a quarter. Fine, here's $10. Right. How about that? Right. It does like happen, it believe it or not, weirdly enough. Right, but like it matters. If you can't save a quarter, 
why on earth are you going to save $10? Because they haven't had the means to save it up until now. It's just in their pockets. Remember the story well, right, I told you about the... No, oh, yeah. I'm absolutely right, but that's what I'm saying. If it is a quarter... Hey, it's 25 cents closer to your goal. Awesome. Right, right, Thumbs right, up. Giant right. positive point in your life. Great right, work. Right. As opposed to only a quarter? Well, uh, I've, I've had that happen. <laughs> okay, well, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. Like, so let me get this straight. You're not appreciative of the free money I'm handing you. I've had these people well, actually clearly ask clearly you can afford more. Yeah. Well, okay, why don't you go see if you can get some money from someone else then? Right. Because if you're not going to be appreciative for what is given, then what is the point? Here's the sample. If somebody will only take $100 bills as yeah, donations, right. and it takes them 700 years to get to their right. $1,500 goal, well, right. what the hell are we doing? The answer is we're doing nothing. You're not propelling goodwill. The guy that walks up to somebody and says, hey, man, I'll take $5. Wait, you're only giving me a dollar? I mean, do you want well, those panhandlers on the street? Because I don't. No, no, no. They're they're not They're not asking for anything other than just whatever their particular pitch is. But my idea is that this gives them an ability to save up a lump sum of money to break the habit and get off the street. Okay, so go through the mechanics for me. So here's $5. I I can't wait for you to save your money and find a better life. Awesome, great work. I'm so happy that you can stand there with your hand out and earn $5. And over the course of an entire day, you've earned $300. Great work. Okay, so let's say in a day they've got sixty-five bucks. Right. Okay. So and say that that and say and that day. What are the rate, mechanics? The mechanics are that they need to deposit uh, ten dollars a day. Okay. Ten dollars a day off a of sixty-five dollars garnered. They can put in more if they want to meet the, the, the if they want to get to the end of the program faster. Okay. Do, but you know, got do you know? Do you know how much ten dollars of sixty-five dollars is? What percentage of that it is? Yeah. Twenty uh, percent. Uh, I don't really? know, dude. Math is not my forte. You know that. Okay. Well, look. That's what I'm. That's what I'm telling you, Wade. Is if, if there is a plan and a program, uh-huh. what exactly is the program and how does it work? And the answer is that the numbers have to work so that not only can you tell someone the numbers and it's a goal, mm-hmm. but it also has to be work. If all you do is you walk around all day and you make $500 in a day, whatever the number is, pick mm-hmm, a number. Mm-hmm. If it's $500 in a day and you can deposit $3, are oh. you kidding me? What? No, the whole, okay, I just grabbed $10 out of my head. I, oh, I, as did I. They've but- done... They, they have done surveys where they've shown that the average panhandler is making sometimes close to $100 a day. And if you do the math, if you just do, weirdly enough, me back to math, but if you, if you, if you take the, 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 the panhandler at the corner and, and traffic cycles through every two to five minutes and he gets a dollar to two dollars every time it cycles through, how long is it going to take him to get to $100? It's not going to take long. If he is dedicated and standing on that corner, which he would be. Mike, I've been downtown. People are panhandling at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's crazy. And they're all over. That's why I was just shocked that I I couldn't find anyone to talk to. You're assuming that I'm not thinking there aren't panhandlers. There are. Right, there are. But did you know they panhandled at 3 o'clock in the morning? Because I sure as hell didn't. Sure. If if anybody could be awake and there's cars driving by, why wouldn't they be out there with their hands sticking out? Because somebody shoves money in it. Who Mm, wouldn't be there? I just never thought of people until I was downtown working. And it's been a recent phenomenon. I haven't seen people panhandling this late until the last If there was nobody driving down the street giving those people money, they would not be there at 3 in the morning. Period. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else to think about. Okay. <laughs> if a tree falls in the middle of the forest and nobody hears it, does it make sound? Of the answer is, yes. of course it does. Yes, it does. Okay. And so if nobody was there to give them money in the middle of the night, 
they would not be there. They might be walking around doing other stuff, but they would not be there waiting for someone to pull up to a red light and go, hey, man, can I have $3? No, you may not. Go okay. to sleep. Okay. Jesus. Okay, all right. So, wait a minute. Where is it that you're at on this? Is this completely not necessary? Just leave them alone? Before there would be any Do you think program, they should get off the street? Do you think there should be a program to get them off the street? That's there a decent a, thing to do. There should be a... No. 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 The, here, here's the sample. There should be a plan, uh-huh. and the plan includes a program to help them find their way through their life. Everybody that I know, if they have the opportunity to make some sort of structure out of their life, not to become the next Mrs. Donald Trump, uh-huh. not to become the next Trump, right. but to, to become somebody that has some structure in their life yeah. where they can have some sort of wealth, whatever that's defined as, uh-huh. built and inserted into their life people will tend to gravitate towards that. The Uh people that don't gravitate towards wealth and wanting to have something stable in their lives in general, it doesn't mean that they're bad until they panhandle. And then I think that you are suckling a teat. It's The suckling piece should not be there. There shouldn't be a time where somebody's driving down the street and someone sticks out their hand and says, hey, man, can I have five bucks? No, you may not. right. Sorry. Okay, so you don't have to give it to them. And, and I'm just, like I said, I'm stunned that people give the denominations they do. I rarely do. I usually only give to the, the old panhandlers because I just really feel sorry for them. But if they're young, if they're capable looking like they, no, you know, I don't. And, and I don't think that okay. anybody should. I, uh, w- anyway, where I was going at the beginning of all this is that okay. the, the structure and the mechanics have to be ironed out. I realize that we're not going to be able to iron that out in our 50-minute program, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. But it does have to somehow be ironed out, i.e., if you make X amount of dollars a day, then X amount of dollars a day goes into the kitty for your eventual total of insert dollar amount right. that you think you need to, quote, get off the streets. Right. That was one of the biggest problems of your concept, is that if I ask super kick-ass boxcars, right. how much money do you need to get off the street? Right. And she's going to go, insert number. Right, okay. And then I ask some other dude that's been on the street for a week, and I go, hey, how much money do you need to get off the street? Go and live your life. How much? Right. The person that just got off the street is going to have a much better concept and idea, on in general, okay. of what's what it's going to actually cost to go and live. We've talked about this a couple times, Okay, so too. That, would, that would be part of the training, then, is to discuss the, the, the reality of what it is that the panhandler is trying to attain to get off the street, what what variables what, what, there are. What number were you thinking that someone can, quote, get off the street on? What were you thinking? Three, four thousand? Three or four thousand dollars in your pocket to get off the street. To get off the street, to get started, to get a place to stay, maybe a car. I don't know. I'm thinking somewhere between three and five thousand to get a solid start. Okay. And so let's, let's, takes, let's take the $100 average. In fact, we'll take $100. We'll take $50 just to double it because why not? All right. So if we take $50 a day. Okay. $4,000 divided by 50 is what? So 80 deposits of $50. No. 80, 80 days. Oh, 80 days. Of $50 deposits. Okay. And now they're free and clear, right? Right. Okay. Wrong. Why wrong? Because in 90 days, uh-huh. if they could have all that money in their pocket uh-huh. and go another 90 days and have another $9,000, why wouldn't they? Because there's a set, because the person that they talk to, the government worker, they've already decided what that set daily deposit is. There is no going under. You talk to these people and say, this okay. is what you're making. This is what, this is what you think you're making today. This is what you're going to be depositing daily. 
Well, we go back to the older dude that's been on the street for 20 Then you get your license yanked if that's not the case, and that if you find him to be panhandling, then you're going to get uh, to jail. Jail or whatever. For three squares. For how long? Or prison. Or I don't. I don't know. Prison. Okay. For how long? Something uncomfortable. How's that? How is living inside of a jail uncomfortable compared no, no, no. to you know sleeping in the rabbit box? Wait, it's time to pull off our very special phone guest tonight. All right. We have Chief DiGiuseppe from a local law enforcement agency. Chris, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. Good. Hey, and Chief. It, pleasure to meet you. Finally. Yeah. In addition to being uh, a super-duper chief of police, Chris is also my co-host inside of the WhatCopsWatch.com podcast, oh. where we review television shows, feature films, and streaming media to tell you what's real and what's not real, all in an effort to put a human face on law enforcement. Okay. Is this I, pretty much give you a get-out-of-jail uh, card, knowing this guy? Not, <laughs> not, not even. I'm, I'm kidding. Not even, Mike, I'm kidding, Chris. No, Mike, I'm kidding. Mike still goes to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close. I'm buried. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Chris, thank you for joining us tonight. What we're talking about is uh, we have found the solution to the panhandling problem that exists in America. And what we wanted to bring you in was for some literal experiential color in regard to panhandlers. So uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Go for it. Well, panhandling is a complex problem when you talk about it in the context of law enforcement. It's something that we take a lot of complaints on. It's a problem that you might think there's an easy solution to, but there's not. There's a fine line between what you can do legally and what you can't do legally. Mm-hmm. As law enforcement officers, we've uh, we've all taken an oath to help people. So, you know, we go out and we try to do that. We try to do that uh, ethically and morally. If there are truly people in need, you know, I myself, I, I try to do the right thing and help them and such. But i got to tell you, my interactions with uh, some panhandlers can get frustrating. You know, there's a freedom of speech issue that you run into. It uh, You can't tell somebody legally that they cannot stand on the side of a road and hold a sign. That's, a, you know, a freedom of speech that they have. You can put certain laws and ordinances in place to uh, maintain public safety and maintain safety of motorists mm-hmm. and, the, and the safety of the person panhandling, you know, additionally. But you got to watch that, you know, that fine line. There have been... Uh, cities and law enforcement agencies and that that have gotten in trouble for encroaching on that. There has been you know, Supreme Court rulings protecting that, protecting those constitutional rights. Some of my experiences have been uh, where, you know, I've approached, you know, said panhandler and tried to offer help, you know, through some of our chaplains program, assistance and such, mm-hmm. and given them numbers, and you know, we've never really heard from them. It seems that, uh, Perhaps that profession, if you want to label it that, is fairly lucrative. We, uh, I remember talking to one guy who said, uh, I got laid off and, you know, I just need to do this to supplement some income and I'm going to be out here for about a month. Five months later, he was still out there. Yeah, I have a couple of questions, Chris, and this is... This is this is way more life experiential than it is directly law enforcement experiential. If someone were to Mm -hmm. tell you, I'm going to get off the streets and it's going to take X amount of dollars to do it. What what we have the benefit of you having many, many children. (laughs) (laughs) But in, in your experience, what is the number that someone needs to, quote, get off the streets in today's society? I think the I think the number you have to ask yourself. What's it worth to sit out there? I mean, how much money are you collecting? What's it worth to sit out there and 
and panhandle and uh, collect this money. That number, my estimation based on things that I've heard and based on uh, seeing panhandlers sit out there in the rain and snow and everything else, that number is going to be pretty high. You know, I mean, they, they may be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year God. panhandling. And those are some of the numbers that I've heard for from uh, some of my colleagues in law enforcement. And that may be true. When you offer assistance, you know, like I said, some of my experience has been they've, oh, yeah, you know, they've, sure, sure, absolutely. They'll never call. They'll be back out there collecting money. And I guess people are generous. And they, they stop and they, uh, they give them money to the point where it must be lucrative or they won't stand out there. Yeah, it, it, it or, is. I've, know, I've, the rain and snow and everything else. I've, I've talked to people who said that uh, this, this uh, I don't know if you know um, what, what I do, Chris. I'm a cab driver in the city of St. Louis, so I've had mm-hmm. a lot of interactions in, at the street level. I picked up this one mm-hmm. uh, young girl, and she told me that her brother had been panhandling, and he would make mm-hmm. like close to $160 a day. But the idea of right. my program is is this. The reason that I came up with this idea is I thought if it ever came down to me being in this situation, I would try and figure out some way as possible to save money up to get the hell back off the street. It's something that I wouldn't want to turn into a career, you know, rightly so, thinking I would I would be ashamed. And my idea was, it's like, okay, well, well the problem with this, with, with panhandlers is they're homeless. They don't have IDs. They don't have addresses. They, they don't have the ability to start a bank account. And then my thought was, what if you had someone go around, talk to panhandlers, and say, okay, the city is going to issue you a license just for tracking purposes. It doesn't cost you anything. We just want to say that this is your license that you can panhandle. But the idea is, is that you need to understand going into this is, one, you don't have a choice. Two, it is a set one-time arrangement. We're going to figure out right now what it is that you think you need to make a reasonable amount to get off the street once and for all. Now, we're going to either have, my idea was we either have somebody come around and take a minimum collection from you daily or probably more likely give them a deposit-only ATM card where they have to put in a set amount daily. And I guess if they weren't doing that, then they would just get the license yanked all together and they could no longer panhandle, period. But basically, it's like you. this isn't going to be your career. You don't get to stand out here day after day after day. This is your one-time shot only to politely get off the street, and we need to figure out this amount. You save up for this amount. You end up uh, getting the money at the end minus whatever uh, interest was accrued in the account to take care of paying for the program, and it's a one-shot only. You can't ever come back here and panhandle again. So what do you think? Yeah. That's my concept. Yeah, the- the problem, the pitfalls that you're going to run into there are, one, you can't pass a law or ordinance that just outright prohibits somebody from, in other words, you can pass an ordinance like we've got a loitering ordinance. You can't interfere with traffic or slow traffic down or, or whatnot. Oh, they do that all the time, too. I'm telling you that in the right. city. Right. And, that, and that's illegal because that's a public safety matter. And proving that's tough. Proving that's tough. So, like, if I'm standing on the side of the road and I'm holding a sign saying, Hey, I'm down on my luck. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a veteran, or I'm down on my luck, and I just really need some help and stuff like that. The Supreme Court sees that as just a freedom of speech. You can't pass a law saying you can't be there, you can't do that. You can pass laws saying you can't stand in the median of a ma- major intersection. You you can't interfere with traffic, pedestrian or vehicular. As far as trying to get compliance with licensing them, and the other thing too is you got to remember when they're collecting all this money, 
they're not paying taxes on it. So as far as putting it into a bank account and recording that, I don't know if that would be attractive to them if they had a choice. But you would have to try to create some law uh, without violating that constitutional right of expression and free speech and such that would mandate that they had to go get a license, would, that would mandate that they uh, you know, could not stand out there and solicit. Now, there are some ordinances that you can pass that say, you know, you can't be out there for the purpose of collecting money, I think. I think. I don't know if those legalities have been tested. But that's kind of hitting the, that's kind of walking the line on it. So yeah. That, yeah. That's there's, kind of where you might run into some some issues with it. There's a, there's a, there's a semblance of plasticity that we use inside of Wade Census Solutions. So the sample is, I, I, I totally agree with you, and I know Wade does too after now hearing it, yeah. that if there's a law that says, hey, dumbass, you can't do that. Well, we know that. Sometimes to implement the solutions that we're talking about, we kind of scoot by that because it, frankly, it doesn't ever appear to anybody that there might actually be a law against something that we're saying. Right. But I'm just, I'm confused kind of how this has to do with free speech. It's like, I understand you standing there with your sign. But like when you step off the well, road, it's, it's when demonstration, huh? It's demonstration. Oh, it's well, well, it's not it, a demonstration. It, They're just begging for money. How's that anything? How's that free speech? Well, yeah, if so I if I stand there and say uh, Martin Luther King was awesome with a sign instead of I need five dollars from you, it's a demonstration. Hmm. What it, what it is is, and you're somewhat right, Wade. Hey, when I step off the curb and I stop that car. Mm-hmm then I am loitering and I'm interfering with vehicular traffic and I'm slowing traffic down. And in theory, that's that's true. You're right. The problem is, am I going to do that when a police officer's out there? Am I going to do that where the police officer can get proof beyond a reasonable doubt to take it to court to, you know, actually get charges and convictions and so on and so forth? It's just really hard to make those cases. Not that they can't be. I mean, we've written tickets for people doing that right? because they're interfering with traffic. It's just really difficult. So if I'm panhandling and I kind of know the ropes, yeah, I kind of know my way around. You know, I, I hold that sign and I, 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 you know, I say everything on the sign and I wave to people and somebody pulls over and hands me $5 and I say, hey, I didn't step out in the traffic. I, you know, and then I've got to, you know, I get written a ticket and I go to court and say, hey, judge, I was. I was just expressing free speech and just telling people that I'm down on my luck. And, you know, this person handed me $5. I didn't stop traffic. So it's a big, you know, legal battle. And it's like, is the court going to entertain that? But I can tell you, and you and you know this, too, if you're a cab driver down the city, you, I mean, you know that this becomes a problem. It becomes a nuisance. Yeah. And uh, it's dangerous. The so, city doesn't care, though. Yeah, they, they don't care. I yeah, I think it's I think it's creative thought trying to trying to address this, and believe me, uh, I think that cities would uh, would adopt something like that if it would work. But it's uh, it's a pretty complex complex issue. Yeah, and yeah. I, the city that would definitively adopt it is the one that has no money. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, you've given us some incredibly valuable insight tonight, both on being a police officer. By the way, thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Thank you. And again, for those of you that are curious and want to find out more about Chief DiGiuseppe, you can check him out over at whatcopswatch.com. Chris DiGiuseppe, thanks again for joining us here on Wade Sense. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You guys have a good night. Thanks, thanks officer. Nice to meet you. Take care.
I hope everybody that you're enjoying the show so far. Everybody stay tuned. We got some bills to pay. We will be right back for more Wade Sense. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Everybody, we are back. It's time for everybody's favorite time-wasting portion of your day, sitting on YouTube and just getting lost in videos. This is our YouTube resection. Uh, my first pick of the day is, I, I absolutely love what this guy is doing. I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I am spending more and more time in TED Talks. They will just bring you in, just draw you in for one talk after another. Mm -hmm. And this guy has got... The uh, his name is Dr. Uh, Gever Tully, and his topic was five dangerous things that you should let your kids do. Sounds absolutely crazy on the surface, but the things that he's talking about were once again uh, a big part of my childhood, possibly yours as well. I climbed trees. I I I wish that I was still in shape to do it. I, I, it's a, definitely a part of my childhood that I miss. But he goes into the uh, details as to why it is such an important exercise. Um, it's the independence aspect of it. You're up, you're away from your parents. Uh, you're problem solving. You're figuring out how to get your body up this way and grab onto this branch. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about this as being more anything more than an exercise thing, but walking to school. People today seem to think that for some reason is dangerous. I, I pull into my neighborhood and people have drove from their houses down to the entrance of the road to wait with their kids to get on a bus. I don't know why they can't walk through the neighborhood. They're not going to get run over and meet the bus on their own or even even walk to school. Uh, but, there's a couple 
things I've thought on that. I've uh, again just having gotten into a. It's not a terribly expensive car payment, but right. it's more expensive than the one I wouldn't have had if someone hadn't hit me and destroyed me. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the gist is that, well, if you got the car payment, why aren't you driving the car more? And the answer is, they're absolutely right, because it sits at my workplace all day long doing nobody any good. In right, fact, that's typical. A, there, well, right, but there's something that, we'll talk about that in a future show. All right. Because there's a whole thing of uh, the uh, rotating car ownership slash... A usage model that I, I only recently learned about that. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, but it's we, where people would be using your car all day long because it's not being used, and then you'd pull in on the car, paying for it. Right. And I mean, it's only scheduling, so it's not terrible. But everyone knows that if the schedule goes sideways, well, now what are you going to do if you don't right, have a car? Right, you're stranded. Right. Now you're uh, calling me. Right. <laughs> anyway, oh, and see, you would love that. Yeah. All right. So anyway, th- there's that factor, but then there's also the factor of. My daughter lucked out in that the first day she was able to go to school, she walks to the bottom of our driveway. She got in a little tiny bus that picked her up, Mm -hmm. and she went to school, and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now it's probably 250, 300 yards out of my sight. Mm. So is it dangerous? We don't live in a crime-ridden neighborhood, no. No. Uh, But we do live in a neighborhood where there are sexual predators, and so if you yeah. saw my now very curvy 15-year-old mm-hmm. and you had the inappropriate brain that mm-hmm. sexual predators have, well, yeah. now what are we talking about exactly? Now, what I don't agree with is people just go pick up their kids at school because it's Thursday. And no, give them the experience of getting their ass on a bus and getting home. Right. Um, or, not like, only, or, take, not, or riding their bike or walking or anything. Not only were the vast majority of schools not programmed and built to accommodate four, five hundred cars in a day, yeah. in addition to the bus lines. Right. It's just that the kids are not growing up with a lot of the foundational securities that they need to have as humans, because there has to be that whole piece of there's not quite a tether to anybody you know, mm-hmm. and then you have to exist. You have to try and figure it out. And as much as people want to try and either steal that away or make sure that their kids are taken care of or right. whatever excuse they're going to put in there, the answer is that it's got to happen. Yeah. There has to be that that the kite is now semi-free. Right. And there's no one at the string on the bottom that's guiding anybody anywhere. You just have to remember, okay, I've reached a point where I am physically comfortable and I now have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. There has to be that point inside of everyone's life. A lot of people don't like to find it. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of th- my opinion is a lot of people find it way too late in life now. Yeah. Where everything goes sideways way too late and you're not prepared for it. If your friends or your brothers and sisters or your parents have died and you don't feel comfortable asking someone else about it, yeah. that's a huge pit for someone to be stepping into with no help. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, totally derailed there, but the right that I, I totally get that. Anyway, there are three other things that he talked about. It is a fascinating. I think it was probably like fifteen, maybe twenty minutes mm-hmm. uh, lecture, and he's he's got a lot of points. And I just I, like I said, it was part of my childhood. I never thought that it was that big of a deal, but there are lessons to be learned in these five dangerous things that you should let your kids do. Very Mike, cool. your pick. Yeah, my first pick tonight is going to be something based on. The repossession of a vehicle. <laughs> okay. Something no one likes to talk about. More importantly, no one wants them to show up to their house. Yeah. Except for this guy. Okay. This is the repo guy you want to have show up at your house. What? His name is the Repo Nut. Okay. And I, I haven't gone back to the origin of the show, but from what I can discern is it's Repo. Repon was the name of the company. Okay. And then the UT is because it's Utah. 
Okay. And so the license plate that he had was Repon UT. Well, okay. if you put that all together, it's Repo Nut. <laughs> and what his YouTube channel is is exactly what it sounds like. It's time to go get another vehicle. And he knew that he was going to be recording all of the video to go and recover these vehicles anyway. Okay. So he decided to compile them into an incredibly compelling YouTube presence that really does give you, especially after, I don't know, I've probably listened to 30 different episodes that run between eight minutes and half an hour-ish, whatever. Yeah. But it's fun. And it's not fun because I know I'm never going to have to worry about that. It's, yeah. It's fun because the lengths and habitual same bullshit that people go to right when the shit's hitting the fan especially in regard to repo yeah is horrifyingly similar every single thing you may have said if you're listening to this and you've had a repo and everything that everybody else that has a repo says when the repo man is there and has your car in the air it's all similar oh yeah yeah. It's all exactly the same. Always. Rather than pedaling back a little bit and going, I screwed the pooch and didn't pay my bills, it's time to invent excuses. And that's what I liked about the program. Mike, you only have to do, you only have to work with people for a few years before you realize that people run in patterns. I see it oh, yeah. all the time. You hear the same things over and over again. There, there's not a lot of originality in, huma- in humanity. Right. Well, and especially when times are tough. And yeah. it doesn't get, t- doesn't get much tougher than, hey, here's your vehicle, and I'm taking it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, I think that's the piece of humanity that I love about this, though, is that that's not what he does. He does not just go, I'm here, I'm taking your car, goodbye, screw you. Mm. He doesn't do that. Hardly ever. The only time it does happen is when somebody starts to physically assault him. Mm. Then when he does have the car in the air, right. he he essentially shuts down communications. He gets into his car and he drives away with your car because that's his job. Right, exactly. The straightforward humanity that's presented, the straightforward boundary of rules and law that's presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other thing that got me was the technology that's now being utilized. The trucks oh, yeah. are... You like you go, oh my God! There's the repo guy. I got to make sure I put my car in the garage or whatever. Right. You would not believe the lengths that people go to to make sure that the car is not able to be gotten to or found or all this stuff. You would just not believe it. Right. Well, and he's got GPS trackers so that when he does find the car, even if it's not at your house or it's at the grocery store or whatever. Right. He's going to put a tracker on your car yeah. because it's a piece of the contract when you originally get the vehicle anyway. Right. And so he can track you wherever you go. And as soon as he sees that you're not at the car for between six and nine minutes, he's going to pull up. He's going to tow it away. And then you get to deal with the finance company that you've refused to deal with for 45 plus days, period, paragraph. Right. As soon as you start understanding the mechanics and how it is going to work if you blow off the finance company. Yeah. As soon as that all slams home. You always hope it slams home softly. <laughs> but when it doesn't, there's the repo nut. Okay, all right. I'm curious, um, in the show, d- does he have many last-minute people cough up the cash enough to stop the repo? Or is once, well, a, once those wheels started, it's going? When the car is up on the lift yeah. or is in possession, right. the game is over unless the office that you can call is still open. Ah. And he actually does that. He says, you know what? It's only 2.15 on a Thursday. You, you can probably call them. Here's the number. But what he admits, here's the number, and I'm not waiting here all day long. Right. The, the sample is you're going to call now. Right. And you're going to see if you can make an arrangement. And then the person on the other end of the phone is going to make the arrangement with you mm-hmm. for all the money and whatever else. Right. And then I'm going to talk to them. And then we're going to see if we put the car down or not. 
And he, I mean, he's he's Does terribly clear. Not of the ones that I saw. Right. My guess is that the, he doesn't show a lot of those because they're just not nearly as interesting, frankly. Right. Um, but, not but, good TV. <laughs> but yeah, but the the ones that he shows, you know, for for those that think you have to be really downtrodden and have no money to be repoed, no, you don't. There there are people there in multi million dollar houses, and their cars and trucks and possessions are being taken mm-hmm. because they don't pay the bill. So for those of you that, if you have had a repo and you're ashamed. Don't be. Yeah. It's a matter of you did not plan right, and the penalty for not planning right is we'd like you to meet the repo nut. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it, it's extraordinary business sense, and that's why I've been watching it. It reminds me very much of why I even bothered with Hell's Kitchen and all of Gordon Ramsay's stuff, because originally Gordon Ramsay was the guy that's screaming in the kitchen, where's my kitchen knife so I can slit his throat? <laughs> yeah. And then I realized the reason that he's screaming at those people, especially inside of like Kitchen Nightmares, right. is because it matters. The reason that he's screaming at the people is because those people have invited him to be there. Right. Because they are on their last legs of business. Mm -hmm. But all they want to do is grab everything and hold on for as long as they possibly can rather than be willing to change something. Yeah, I've watched those shows. I'm always amazed that people don't get it. It's like, you you invited this guy here because you're about to go under. Yeah. And you're fighting him? What the hell's wrong with you? Everybody loves these things. They come in, they ask for them. Right. Right. Where, Where are these mystery ghost people? Because they're not here helping you stay alive. And I love that he'll say things like that, and it's not—he's not being a smartass. Funny, he, funny that you should mention yeah. ghosts. My next pick is from Britain's Got Talent, mm. and it was a lady that came on who just went by the name of Elizabeth. Okay, you seriously have got to watch this. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. She goes up there, says that her name is Elizabeth, and then she talks about why she's there. And it's because she's there's uh, Britain, the, a lot of the theaters have been proven to be haunted and that it's actually good luck for uh, performers to see one of the ghosts. And then she goes and she picks one of the uh, judges, takes her underneath the stage and she's talking to her the whole time. She says, put your hand right here on my left shoulder. And then she takes her down. They're underneath the stage now. And she lays out a table and puts all these pictures down. She says, these pictures are people who lived and died 100 years ago. I want you to take your hand, your left hand, put it on uh, these pictures, and I want you to put them down and then put the one, there's this box right here. I want you to put the one in the box that you feel you have an attachment to. And she's like, okay. So she's putting them down, putting them down. She gets like two or three, and says like this one, and she puts it in the box. And then the lady talks about how there was this person. They, they take the picture out and they look at it, and she lived like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she had died at like in or near the theater, and she said. And then the lady goes, Elizabeth says, all of this stuff has meant to be and has happened or is going to happen or whatever. And then she says, look over here. And the lady who's sitting across from her looks up on the wall Mm -hmm. and in -in glow-in-the-dark paint is the name of the lady who's who's on the picture. That's freaky enough. Mm -hmm. Then she turns back and looks at Elizabeth. Elizabeth looks just like the lady in the picture. Hmm. Freakiest thing ever. And then without saying a word, they get up from the table the get the, ho- the the judge is still shrieking, and the 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 person who is now um, the the ghost puts her hand on the guest uh, on the, the 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 shoulder of the judge, and they're walking back up the stairs. As they get to this top of the stairs, she turns back around, and that lady never took her hand off, and it's now Elizabeth again. It is the freakiest. Hmm. I mean, the hair went up on the back I, of my I, neck. I love stuff like that. It reminds me. 
reminds me of the heyday of David Copperfield. Yes. And being absolutely mystified by what but I was But you weren't scared by him. This scared the crap out yeah. of me. No, that's, that's very interesting. I look forward to seeing that. My last pick here for our YouTube segment is in regard to a new handgun that I purchased. Ooh. Uh, for those that didn't know, I have had, and for a real long time, actually, I've had what's called a Jetfire. We'll put links to it inside the, okay. inside the show notes. Because I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm it's a gun vi- ignorant. It's a very, very tiny gun. Ooh. But it makes it easy to conceal, and I've never had to worry about it. Anyway, right. so I've had the Jetfire, and what I found out recently was I've always wanted a six-hour, mm-hmm. and SIG has traditionally had larger guns that are not very easy to conceal, in particular if you don't wear them on your on, uh, on your torso someplace. Okay. However, recently, uh, Sig Sauer has come out with a weapon called the Sig Sauer 365, and the 365 refers to wearing it 365 days a year. Ah. So the Sig Sauer 365. Okay, all right. Um, so it's that comfortable a gun. It's not only is it that comfortable, it's that small, but it's also, I do not have large hands, mm-hmm. and so it works perfectly okay. for me, where mm-hmm. it's it's larger than my Jetfire, um, provides, the, the big get is that traditionally when you have a concealed and carry weapon, mm-hmm. you're looking at between five and maybe eight rounds, depending on whether you're carrying one inside the chamber or not. Well, the SIG 365 provides you with the ability to have up to 12 rounds total, right. which is a giant step up because having just even four or five extra rounds is a big deal when it matters. Yeah, exactly. Would you rather have more? Would you rather have less? Uh, More, obviously. Right. There are other guns that carry the same complement, but they have a much larger footprint, thereby they're harder to conceal, and more often than not, they're more expensive. What size bullet? Uh, mine's a nine nine millimeter. You oh, okay. can get them in. You can okay. get them in varying yeah. sizes too, but the uh, it's a tremendous gun. It's incredibly light. Again, it fits my hand wonderfully because I have smaller hands. Mm-hmm. There's also I happen to grab a box of ammunition here. Also, there's a special hey. there's a special ammunition that it takes. I'm curious, how much was that box? This box of twenty rounds of ammunition was fifteen dollars and ninety nine cents. Okay, and these are. Ah. Those are hollow tips. Yeah. And before everybody freaks out when you hear the word hollow tip, know that every police officer you'll ever see on the planet mm-hmm. is carrying hollow points in their gun, not because they want to blow the back of your head out, but because these are what slow down after they start hitting things like walls. Oh, so if they were shooting why. inside of an environment. So it's actually a safer bullet. Absolutely. These are a totally much safer bullet, and that's why all police officers have them in their guns. Okay. Now, traditionally, there are different... This is getting kind of into the weeds and tech talk, but th- th- there's traditionally a different style of hollow point that's available. And these are a different style. These are actually made for the gun that I bought mm-hmm. in that they don't have as much gunpowder inside of them. Oh. But they've still got the stopping power of the 9 millimeter bullet. Okay. They just they don't fire nearly as hard because the gun is smaller. Oh, okay. So in addition to having more rounds, you have less kickback. The recoil on the gun. Gotcha. You have less that. So oh, okay. It, it's a giant win all the way around. We'll put links up to the gun. You can buy it for a variety of different prices. Uh, please shop around because the prices will vary widely. And find somebody that is selling it either on a sale or they're having an upcoming sale. You can take advantage of a discount, which almost every single reputable gun dealer will provide you with some sort of discount. Okay. If you go and buy during a sale, you just have to ask them. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's the SIG 365. We'll include a couple of videos that I found of uh, a dude that has put 4,000 rounds through. Originally, there was a problem with the handgun. Uh-huh. And SIG has now, uh, Six Hour has now fixed them all. Okay, good. And so when you're issued a gun, you're getting one that does not have this, uh, the initial problems that the initial one had. 
Dummy codes. Mike's favorite subject. No ifs, ands, or buts. And uh, I would have to say that it's it's mine as well. But I, def- I definitely end up with a real uh, bit of frustration dealing with it. This particular one, my first pick, I-, I just wanted to go bang my head against the wall. And I thank God that I don't live in 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 California. California may ban schools from suspending students for willful defiance. Let me repeat that again. California may ban schools from suspending students for willful defiance. A duh. Can, can you wrap your head around that, Mike? If it was any other state but California, I would be surprised. Yeah. I, my, yeah. my uncle and my, my aunt have moved from California not because of the zany taxes, not because of their craziness on gun laws, but because it's crazy frickin' California. Yeah. There, there are so many things that are not only sideways, but totally foundationally against the being able to propel your life yeah. inside of California that I don't understand when people have the opportunity to leave that they are not there's not some sort of mass exodus. Uh, I, it's, I don't understand. It's, it's just it's the gorgeous weather. That's the one thing all Californians talk about is the weather is so beautiful. But God, when you live in economic hell, how long can you take it? I don't here, know. Here, here's just a quick read on it. Under the new vision, Senate Bill 419, students in grades four through eight wouldn't be suspended for disrupting school activities or willfully defying school authorities, including teachers and staff. The bill would also ban schools from suspending students in grades 9 through 12 for the same thing until January 1st, 2025. The law would apply to both public and charter schools. It's just insane. It's like mm. you're asking yourself to have a madhouse. And kids are going to pick up this and go, what are you going to do? You will just drive kids from school that are actually trying to learn. And it will be nothing more than just uh, babysitting teenagers. Oh, not only that, babysitting with no availability for penalty. I yeah. mean, that, that's that, that's what we're looking at is that it, it, when you have lawlessness, it's lawlessness. It doesn't matter how old the people are. And so if it's lawlessness and you're adults, it just happens to be called something different. Yeah. And um, that's not good. That's not good. That's not nearly good enough. This is the dummy code law. There's an actual law that I would love to put in place for this. People or institutions that allow children to be harmed and lose all te- lose all teaching privileges, five years or a thousand dollar fine or both per offense. Hmm. So that's a quick rough draw of that law. Mike, your pick? We unfortunately live in a world that is surrounded with more count of school-based shootings and firearm incidents than I care to continue to try and remember. Yeah. This is one of the very first years, however, when on 419 and or 20, we haven't had something that is somehow slotted into the commemoration of Columbine. Yeah. But we have, especially in the last couple of the most recent weeks, had a couple of school shooting style incidences. In fact, one of our local schools here, uh, right in a, near a city that I live in, mm-hmm. had a student bring an empty handgun to school. And it there was no intent, at least that what the story is, it, it's only been a day. But the, the there was no intent. He just brought the firearm to school. Troubled there, mental issues or anything? I don't know. There, there hasn't been enough investigation, I don't well. think. But the, the bottom line is that, you know, when you push people so far, eventually people will push back. Yeah, yeah. And the faster you don't either lock up your guns or you put mistrust into people that do have access to guns, you're not going to have anything good happen. My dummy code comes in the fashion, however, of the people that want to have a TSA-style search at school entrances. This is 
the knee-jerk reaction and instantaneous twisty turning of both sides of the aisle saying, fine, we're going to do this then. Yeah. Because I know what I don't want. Now, I've, I've never had an experience with the TSA that was bad. Mm-hmm. I've never had what You've is... You've been lucky. Uh, I've never had what is a cavity search. In fact, the last time I was in an airport, mm-hmm. I had a bag that had a bunch of wires and steel microphones in it. Yeah. So if I was, someone was going to get checked, they would have looked at my bag and said, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I didn't. I you had weren't a, even checked? I, well, I was checked in yeah. that they checked my bag, but they right. didn't go, wait a second, you deserve some more scrutiny and may I shove my hand up your ass. They didn't say anything like that. Uh, they didn't do anything like uh, that. Yeah. So I still have never had the negative impact of it takes more than two or three minutes. And because I was an hour and a half early for my flight anyway, mm-hmm. it never made any difference for me. Okay. There's a whole bunch of things competing for attention as we talk about this. Yeah. But where the dummy code go- goes inside of this one is that because... We've had yet another, quote, school shooting. Mm -hmm. We must then have TSA-style search and seizure of everything Mm -hmm. that comes into a school. Always an overreaction. Always. It it is. It it doesn't matter which side of the aisle. There's over some sort of overreaction. Yeah. And that's what my dummy code goes to in this instance. It's way overboard. Okay. Uh, Before I move on to my next one, you did hear that uh, in Florida it just passed... It goes into law October 1st. The school teachers, after getting suitable training, and if it's okay by that district, can now carry. Yeah, open carry in classes. Yeah, and 100 hours of training, for those that are curious, I would dare you to go and try and do anything for 100 hours and tell me that you're not somehow proficient in it. 100 hours of training anything. Yeah. That's two and a half weeks of solid training where you have instructors, you mm-hmm. have... Uh, accompanying allies. And, well, I'm missing and, something. That's that is enough, or it isn't enough. Oh, it is absolutely. It is enough. Okay, good. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. The 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 ability to teach someone how to shoot a gun effectively, even right. if there are people running all over the place. Right. But when there's traditionally one or maybe two people uh-huh. that are the incident shooters, remember this. This is not this is not training an army to defend our schools because that's how it also gets painted. Yeah. This is. Making sure that the school is a more hard target than it was. As it should be. Because when a It should shooter, be the hardest of targets. When a shooter comes to the school, regardless of who it is, whether it's a student or not a student. Right. When they get to the school, they know one thing. It is a gun-free zone. Right. And with the exception of maybe a resource officer. Yeah. There's Who's no one else. probably at the opposite end of the building, and you probably know if you've scouted it out where they're at. Absolutely. Or at least given it some thought, especially now. Right. It, to, to think they're not going to think about it now is stupid. Right. Anybody that thinks that a potential shooter wouldn't investigate if there's going to be anybody in the building with a gun, where they're going to be at what time of day in general, not, mm-hmm. not like tracking them like some sort of... Uh, Mission Impossible movie or anything. That's, that's, that's not what's going to happen here. Right. Again, it's the path of least resistance all the time, every single time. And so what you do by training people, especially if it's even more than one, let's say there's a staff of 30 teachers, mm-hmm. and it's announced that there will be an unknown number of teachers that take on firearms training to the tune of 100 hours mm-hmm. over the course of the next six months. And then you post that sign outside that school, they're not coming in. No, you don't even need the sign now. If they, if there are 30 teachers and an unknown number of them are not have not only taken 100 hours of firearms training, mm-hmm. all of the schooling that comes with it, the peer review and support that comes with it, and you have no idea who it is. 
it's time to go pick a different school yeah. or pick a different activity where there are no guns right. or something else that's not a much now harder target than it was previously. Right. Because you don't want to get shot. No. I mean, as as much as we've had a, a, a bunch, the, the Columbine shooters are the perfect sample because they did end up killing themselves. Mm-hmm. The the fact is that no, the vast majority do not want to get into an armed conflict with police officers because they're going to lose. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I hate to tell everybody, but sharpshooters on a SWAT team are going to rage against everybody that is a, a school shooter. Yeah, That's the point, is that you want to make it an experience and something that people do not want to do. And so 100 hours of training absolutely is, is enough to, to teach those teachers to be familiar with firearms. It does not mean that if shots are fired by the school teacher, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it might not hit somebody else or it goes through a window and does property damage or yeah. maybe even kills a teacher or another student. Right. That may very well be the case, but that they've been trained, they've got that opportunity to have a skill level up. But the big get is that it's deterrent. Yeah. It makes the target harder so that the shooter goes somewhere else or just realizes it's folly. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. Yeah. My second and final pick for Denny Codes is, doesn't even occur in the U.S. This is in Sweden. There was a 14-year-old girl who was gang raped by Muslim classmates. Mm. The school, I, I could not imagine being a parent and not going down there and ripping someone's throat out at this. The school allowed them to stay in the stay in because rapists are victims too. A duh. I would have lost my mind if I was a wow. parent. Wow. And that's in, that that that's that's in Sweden. This this is what having a ridiculously open mind and being terrified of being called a racist, Islamophobic, whatever gets you. Yeah. This 14-year-old girl was gang raped in school and they decided to leave the kids in because rapists are victims too. Wow. If it ever gets to that point in this country, you will have a civil war. You can guarantee it. Yeah, I don't agree with the Civil War thing, by the way. <laughs> It'll happen. No. If won't. that happens, it will happen. Nope. If we get to that point, you don't you honestly don't think so? No. I don't. What would you do as an armed citizen if that was what happened in the school that your daughter was going to? Not Civil War. What would you do? What would your action be? I, Just take her out of school? Well, no. I I I'd like to have some more time to hypothesize that because I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. All right. Well, the, the, the bottom line blood, is I wouldn't go in a blood boil and I couldn't think straight. Well, I'll bet, but I don't even have kids in school now. Right. But what it, what it won't lead to is a blind murderous rage where I shoot them all. No, so, that's not what I'm saying is what I'm, what I'm saying is, is if well, you, our government, no, you, what, I'm, what I'm saying is you get our, this, what the civil war was about, right? Yeah, no, I get that. Okay. So ta- look at the line of guys. It's, that's a hundred yards from us. Okay. I'm talking about what I'm talking about is that's why when you say, loose, wait, hold on. What? That's why when you say there's going to be civil war, that's bullshit. That is a straw man argument. You can't say it. There's never going to be a time where we stand a hundred yards from each other. And I think one thing and you think the other, and we're going to shoot each other. It's not going to happen, well, dude. Well, that's not happening again anyway. Then why say it? We don't line up like that Then anymore. why say it? I don't even know. How, listen, I don't even know how the battle lines would be drawn. Then why but, say it? That's all I'm saying. That's what, When somebody says civil right. war, it's it's akin to the Hitler argument when you go, right, but Hitler, insert whatever Hitler. No. You can bring up Hitler as much as you want, but it's not the same thing. No, it's like this. If there, if, if there is a, a general understanding among the majority of the American public that they feel a certain way about a number of topics – and our government basically abdicates uh, us 
to uh, our own designs because they've got a completely different idea, you're going to end up with a breakdown and I don't know what direction it will be, but you can guarantee at some point it's going to get violent. Now, whether that's us going up against the government or other citizens that are, are backing this new turn, I don't know. Here's the gist. Okay. 1.26 million people will not die because of insert whatever you're going to say. Okay. That's how many people died inside of the Civil War. Okay. That's We're not going to have that. No. Okay. So I just, it, again, it's the, it's the piece of an argument that gets thrown in. No, it's not going to be it's that. A, it's, it's a firebomb that has absolutely no bearing on anything. It's obviously not going to be that high because you're not even talking about two organized factions that have actually turned into armies. At one point, that was the government of the United States fighting a rebel faction. I, I don't see that happening so much as, as just uh, like, a, like, like a, a, a breakout between uh, the, the Antifa idiots and some people who are just tired of their antics, and that turns bloody. Something along those lines uh, scattered across the country. I, I, I don't know. I don't see it as being an actual full-on civil war. I, I, you're right. I was wrong to throw that term out, but I just when, when this happened, I, just, I, 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 I couldn't think straight. Okay. So my next dummy code goes to probably one of the dummiest people ever. <laughs> it's Dennis Rodman. Okay. Just when you think that Dennis Rodman falls out of the news cycle... Just before you know, you think, oh, he's going to go see. Rock- and what did I miss? He's going to go see Rocket Man or something. No, mm. no. What we've got Dennis Rodman showcasing is he's being ensnared for his alleged involvement in Tuesday afternoon's clothing heist from a yoga studio. What? Yes. And I'm like, for those of you that don't remember, not so zany. Dennis Rodman. Where Dennis was he Rodman. Not zany? Hold on. Dennis Rodman was an icon inside of basketball. Yes. Okay. And he had every opportunity to make everything for himself. Yes. And he did. And it is slowly being thrown into the wood chipper because he cannot possibly harness himself. Why am I reading something that says the theft allegedly took place after the NBA Hall of Fame legend showed up to Vibes Hot Yoga in an affluent Newport Beach, California neighborhood around 1235 p.m. with three other people, two women and a man. Right. Why am I reading this about Dennis Rodman? And the answer is because he has absolutely no self-control. There is something missing from Dennis Rodman's makeup. And I fear that it is in the guise of a dummy code. Mm. Dummy. <laughs> do you, do I, you... I, I, I so want him to be able to achieve. And he's, he's not stupid. And he is creative. And he's aloof. And he's strange. And right. he's, he's got all the peccadilloes that you know happens inside of celebrity. I totally get it, dude. Right. But at some point, it's not unlike our hobo. description and and endeavor tonight is that at some point you have to go no I'm not going to go get on another box car Mm -hmm. and ride Mm -hmm. and be the stick of butter (laughs) (laughs) and and whatever the hell else is going on (sighs) you can't it's not sustainable and it's not good for you it's not good enough for the people around you and it's a terrible sample right that's what we got here not only we have a terrible sample, we have a terrible sample at probably one of the highest levels. I can't believe I'm saying that about Dennis Rodman, but yeah. he's a, he would eventually be inside the news cycle again about something else. Wow. So, you know, you, you choose your own fate. 
Right. And Dennis Rodman quickly steers the steers the Rodman mobile towards the dummy code mobile. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see what dummy code you're going to throw at him because he'll catch it and throw it back. Or eat it. <laughs> and put it in his cranberry concoction and drink it. Jesus. One more thing to add, as always, uh, folks, you can either make excuses or you can have results, but you cannot do both. My name is Wade B. Olson, and this has been Wade Sense. I'm willing to listen to her because Funky Boxcars is willing to eat out of an old plastic bowl from 1971. But I am not willing to give her decision-making ability inside of our program. So I want her story without question. I want to know the perspective without question because I'm never going there. Okay, so we'll do this. We'll go through. I'll write. uh, Where's my interview? These yellow legal pads are awesome. How much did you spend on this? Just shut up. I like it. <laughs>